Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. The rats ran in a flood over his feet, up his legs. He broke into a staggering run, shaking some off. The others bit at his belly, his chest. One ran up his shoulder and pressed its questing muzzle into the cup of his ear. He ran into the second bat. It roosted on his head for a moment, squealing, and then ripped away a flap of Hall's scalp. He felt his body growing numb, his ears filled with the screech and yammer of many rats. He gave one last heave, stumbled over furry bodies, fell to his knees. He began to laugh, a high, screaming sound. Hello, Books and Nachos listeners. I'm Arnie, your host, and I'm back looking at another short story from Stephen King's Night Shift collection. This week, I'm reviewing Graveyard Shift, the second story in the collection. I hesitate to call this story the titular story of the collection, but the connection can be made. With the book in which this story is gathered being called Night Shift, one would likely think Graveyard Shift is the story that matters most. But it does seem to be somewhat of a roundabout coincidence. King actually wanted this 1978 anthology to be called Night Moves, inspired by the Bob Seger song and the fact that he wrote many of these at night after his day job teaching. The publisher ended up changing that to Night Shift, an amalgam of King's desired title and the title of this story. Graveyard Shift tells of Hall, a college dropout and drifter who's wandered up the East Coast. In the record-breaking heat of this particular summer, he's taken a night job at a textile mill in Gates Falls, Maine. It's crappy work, but Hall enjoys the solitude. He doesn't even mind the heat, his work area topping 94 degrees at 3 o'clock in the morning. But what Hall can't stand are the rats. The mill is full of some of the biggest rats the man had ever seen. The biggest rat of all, though, may be Hall's boss Warwick, a hard-ass, no-nonsense boss who's ready to fire anyone who disagrees with him. But Warwick works days and is usually off Hall's back. But for the week of 4th of July, the mill shuts down for vacation and all workers there less than a year are furloughed. But Warwick has it in mind that the mill's sub-basement needs to be emptied out, even though it hasn't been entered in 16 years and contains over 100 years of rotted furniture, paperwork, and other trash. Hall and several other workers who need the dough agree to work the entire week, their shift starting at 11pm and working through the night trying to avoid that summer heat. But in the basement is more than junk, there are rats the size of Hall's shin. As the nights wear on, Hall starts to slowly go insane, dreaming of the rats, and imagining that he and Warwick are somehow connected, that some event is predestined to occur in that basement. The breaking point comes when Hall finds a trap door leading to a sub-sub-basement. Convincing his boss that this new discovery must be the source of the giant rats and even bats that have hounded the cleanup crew, the men descend to investigate. What they find is madness, death, and an unnatural mutation of rodents. Now, Graveyard Shift is one of the oldest stories in the Night Shift collection, having originally been published in the October 1970 issue of the men's magazine Cavalier. It was just the third short story King had ever been paid for, and when Cavalier accepted it, they gave him $200, more than double what he'd gotten for his first two stories combined. In his autobiographical writing instructional on writing, King talks about the inspiration for Graveyard Shift. During his senior year at Libson High School, King took a job at a textile mill in Maine. He'd work second shift after school and sometimes pull a double and work the Graveyard Shift. 
He was a bagger, filling bins with blown fabric. And just like in the story, the mill was full of rats that, between bins, King would pelt with soda cans. And, just like in the story, the week of the 4th of July, King was offered a chance to make double by joining a crew tasked with cleaning out the basement, moving out some stuff that hadn't been touched in as long as 50 years. Now, stories differ from King's own accounts on why King didn't take the job cleaning the basement. In On Writing, he says that the crew was full before it was open to high school students, but in an interview in the late 70s, King said it was the rats that had him turn down the extra dough. But no matter why King wasn't there, when regular work resumed the next week, King's co-workers regaled him with the stories of rats they found in that basement, some described as being the size of a cat, or even a medium-sized dog. So in 1969, a few years later while on a work-study program at the University of Maine, King remembered these workers' tales of rats, and so King started writing, and the result was Graveyard Shift. But these rat stories must really have stuck with King, because in King's early fiction, these large, nasty rodents keep coming up. If you heard my review of Jerusalem's Lot, which I reviewed last November along with King's Salem's Lot novel, that entire story is about a man living in a house that he swears has rats in the walls. Jerusalem's Lot is the first story in Night Shift, and here, this second story in Night Shift is another tale of an old building beset by these disease-carrying vermin. The similarities between the two stories are great. Both involve a man who's a newcomer to Maine, both being driven insane by the thoughts of rats. More, both stories are very specifically about a place. In Jerusalem's Lot, the main character, Charles, suffers most while in Chapelweight, the cursed house left to him by his cousin. In Graveyard Shift, we barely ever see Hall outside of that mill. In fact, part of me wondered while reading Graveyard Shift that if this might be somewhat of a sequel to Jerusalem's Lot, if the mill might have been erected exactly where Chapelweight once stood. I know King these days likes to put little Easter egg references to his other fiction or, more recently, stories by his sons or other authors he likes, so when Hall finds the sub-sub basement and a box with the name Elias Varney written on it, I began digging back through Jerusalem's Lot and more King fiction. But after digging, I found it's impossible that Chapelweight becomes the mill. They're set in different towns, and the sheer size of the mill has several more stories than Charles's house had. And so that leaves this question, who is Elias Varney, the owner of this box found in the sub-sub basement? More, King states in the story that the sub-sub basement was locked from the inside. What person would go down there and affix a lock? Human remains are found in that basement, maybe Varney's bones, but these are answers King never gives in the story. The author is world-building, trying to give the mill a sense of history as he gave Chapelweight. But unlike Chapelweight, this history goes nowhere and, from what I can tell, is never brought up again in this story or any other King fiction. But despite not being directly linked, the similarities between Graveyard Shift and Jerusalem's Lot are immense. And what I can find in my research is that both were also likely written around the same time, both in the mid to late 60s, and both stories reek of Lovecraftian influence. The smell is stronger on Jerusalem's Lot with the epistolary first-person storytelling and the period setting, but with the inclusion of rats, the investigation of sites no human has seen in decades, a main character going mad and a final monstrous reveal, King's early horror works were very clearly inspired by Lovecraft. Plus, Lovecraft had a fondness for rats. <laughs>
Though Graveyard Shift does also have a touch of Poe. Hall and Warwick have a contempt for each other that comes through in machismo, each man daring the other to go further. The two walk along the sub-sub basements, and again, Poe's cask of Amontillado came to mind. I figured at least one of the men would not return. But with all these comparisons, you, constant listener, must wonder if I disliked Graveyard Shift, because I was pretty harsh on Jerusalem's lot, and of the Night Shift stories I've reviewed thus far, it remains the one I enjoyed least. And I do like Graveyard Shift more than Jerusalem's Lot. The modern setting simply works better for King, once again able to name-drop brands in his prose to give the story a sense of reality, and getting back to his comfort zone, he writes great dialogue of people in modern times, not so much of people in the 18th and 19th century. Though his brand names were very dated, the story being 1970, I did have to look up Nehi to see if it was a real soda brand, and it turns out it was, and I only know the company by its new name, RC Cola. But I also like Graveyard Shift better because it's nice and short at 18 pages, exactly half the length of Jerusalem's lot, which I felt wore out its welcome. But that said, while I like Graveyard Shift more than Jerusalem's lot, I don't entirely like Graveyard Shift. It's just not a fulfilling read. It's full of unlikable characters. Our point-of-view character, who's theoretically our protagonist, Hall, is going insane. He dislikes his boss, Warwick, but we're never given a reason to dislike the manager. That Hall sees some intertwined destiny between the two of them is, at the very least, odd. It can be chalked up to madness, but what is the cause of Hall's insanity? And that's the problem with Graveyard Shift. It's a thin story full of shallow characters. In his later fiction, King's great strength is his characterizations. Here, I do believe these people feel real. They come across as true plant worker archetypes, and I don't think I'm stretching in thinking that perhaps some of these characters might be modeled off of King's co-workers at the mill. But there is not any character given an ounce of depth. There's no character for the reader to root for. Horror is most frightening when people die that you want to see live such as the Glick Boys and Salem's Lot. Here, when Warwick and Hall descend into the sub-sub basement and all the giant rats and bats within surround them, I expect Hall will live as the main character, but I don't really care if he does or not. The problem with the characterization could be blamed on the story's length, but in my recent reviews of The Ledge and Quitters Incorporated and even The Boogeyman, King was able to create relatable characters in a very short time. I think the difference is simply skill. In 1969, King was not the wordsmith that he would become as little as five short years later. But while I didn't connect with Hall, Warwick, or any of the other background mill workers, I will give King credit for his gruesome descriptions of rats and the damage they do. If you heard my review of King's novel Salem's Lot, you know there was an entire subplot cut from the book that had the head vampire Barlow protected by a herd of rats. It provided Dr. Cody a gory, gruesome, and painful death, a scene I just loved that was only included as bonus materials in the 2005 30th Anniversary Edition. Well, that scene has its origins here in Graveyard Shift. As I read in the opening to this podcast, there is in this story a death that, while not as visceral as Cody's death in Salem's Lot, is clearly the first draft version, and until 2005, the closest thing that any of King's constant readers could get to the author's vision of death by rat teeth. But despite the good descriptions and sense of place, the lack of characterization hurts this story. 
More, I have to question its inclusion in Night Shift at all. Why do we need two stories about men driven mad by rats? More, why would they be back-to-back, -back, the lead stories in this book? If I didn't know the rest of these stories, I would expect every future tale, all 18, to involve vermin and madmen, and I might not have read on. I can only think that King is curating. Jerusalem's Lot makes sense to include to tie into the best-selling Salem's Lot novel. But I mentioned Graveyard Shift was the third story King ever had published. His first two stories, they're in Night Shift as well. Perhaps King was more interested in publishing his history for his constant readers than in providing a varied style of tales. Or maybe King needed to provide four extra stories for his contract with Doubleday and thus the reader is provided with redundancy. Either way, even if the author didn't correct having two rat tales back to back, the editorial department should have and didn't. But while I didn't think Graveyard Shift was one of King's best, someone thought it was worthy of optioning for a film, and in 1990 that film would finally be released, stretching this 18-page story into a 90-minute movie. Jacob, Stewart, and I are reviewing the film Graveyard Shift over at our movie review podcast, and I hope you join us to listen at nowplayingpodcast.com. And in the meantime, I'd like your feedback. Do you enjoy the Graveyard Shift story? And how do you think it compares to Jerusalem's Lot? And do you know who Elias Varney is? As I've mentioned in previous shows, these Books and Nachos podcasts take a lot of time to research, record, edit, and produce. But the conversations with you other King readers makes it all worth it. So please, drop me a line at show at booksandnachos.com or come to our forums and discuss this story with me. And I'll be back with another Night Shift review next week, inspired by another of King's early jobs, The Mangler, about a killer laundry press. So until then, please remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. It's crappy work, but Hall's enjoy... Hall's... Mentaliptus.